Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 686 with Dave Hershka. So one thing we did for years was we did private limited edition reserve, hand-signed, hand-numbered, limited edition sauce that was hotter than anything we made. It was a bottle put in a wooden coffin wrapped in caution tape, you know, so we did thousands of them each year and I'd sit at a table like signing and so was the purpose to just sell a lot of sauce not necessarily was the purpose like to get people saying wow look at this thing and then share with their friends and then give continue to get our brand credibility you know because we were known for the hottest sauces in the world are you ready for it factors success stories failures and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge then join eric cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable everybody loves payday am i right but loving your payroll provider that's a different story it's a little weird still small businesses across the country love running payroll with gusto gusto automatically files and pays your taxes it's super easy to use and you can add benefits and hr support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe it's loyal it's modern and who knows you might even fall in love to learn more head over to gusto.com slash unstoppable and when you run your first payroll you'll get your first three months free again that's gusto.com slash unstoppable margin edge it is the only restaurant management system to combine automatic invoice processing with pos and accounting integration improving financial performance visibility and efficiency in other words with margin edge you can finally run your restaurant without the massive paperwork nightmare that sounds amazing and all you have to do is snap a photo of the invoice with your smartphone. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy up to 50% off your first year. Go to me.marginedge.com slash unstoppable. Ladies and gents, you've got to own your presence online because that's where your first impressions are made. Good thing there is Bento Box because Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships directly through their websites. To learn more about Bento Box and how it can empower you through your website, head over to getbento.com slash unstoppable. And because you are a restaurant unstoppable listeners, you'll save 50% off your setup fee. Again, that's getbento.com slash unstoppable. What's going on, Unstoppables? Today, I have a really great conversation recorded for you. Uh, Dave Hirschkop, he is the founder of Dave's Insanity Sauce uh, and Dave's Gourmet. And uh, today's conversation is unique in the sense that a lot of my guests are super successful within the restaurant industry. But today, we're talking to Dave. He only had his restaurant for two years, but his restaurant was the launching pad for a different business. And that's one thing I love about this industry is that, I mean, there's just so many verticals and we always try to, I think we, we can sometimes be one track minded, right? But the truth is there's so many different things that can stem from our restaurant. And, and for Dave, that was doing one thing really well, hot sauce. And that created other opportunity for him today. Today, all he does is uh, gourmet food, online retail, in-store retail. And we're going to get into some 
some of his advice. So if you have something that you think has the uh, ability to do well in retail, then this is an episode for you. He shares the backstory of how Dave's Insanity started. He gets into how he scaled from local small shops to the more mainstream Whole Foods of the world. He shares how he did guerrilla marketing. He shares the importance of creating an experience and really hyping up your product. He shares a lot of great advice in today's conversation, but without further ado, here it is. Dave Hirschkop. I hope you enjoy it. So with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Dave Hirschkop. Dave, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Absolutely. I think you woke me up. Uh, <laughs> nice. I'm glad to hear it. So uh, upon graduating college, Dave opened a burrito shop named Burrito Madness in College Park, Maryland. In a in a way to deal with unruly drunks, Dave created a hot sauce uh, to kind of keep them in line. And it turns out that that hot sauce ended up taking over your business more or less. Uh, you, and that became your main focus in life. And since then, you've scaled the business to include uh, pasta sauces, uh what else do we have? Overnight oats. And just give us the myself and the listeners an idea of where the business is today real quick. Yeah. So we're, um, we're mostly a food manufacturer, uh, you know, mostly sold in grocery, uh, totally different from the restaurant world now. Uh, but we're, you know, we're spending more and more time just thinking like, yeah. you know, how do we, how do we make things that make people happy? Yeah. And I'm sure you guys have heard of the hot sauce. It's pretty, it's a staple in most households. I want to say Dave's insane. I know it was a staple in my household. Dave's insanity sauce, some legitimate stuff. I'm sure we'll learn more about that sauce. Uh, but 30 years at this uh, e-commerce, bringing your, your uh, product to, to brick and mortar. We're going to learn a lot from this conversation. I think really we're going to focus on is if you guys have a product that you think is just the bee's knees and you think that it, it deserves to, to go beyond just your restaurant and you want to bring it to brick and mortar, you want to bring it to e-commerce. Dave is going to show us how to do it, or he's going to show us how he did it and uh, what he's learned along the way. So I really have no idea what exactly that is going to be unpackaged in today's conversation. I just know it's going to be a good one. But like always, Dave, I need to have you share a success quote or mantra to get that motivational ball rolling. What do you got for us? So I like uh, it's actually a Tony Robbins quote, but uh, your your attitude determines your altitude. Yes. Dive into that. Why did that? Why was that the quote you wanted to bring to us today? Well, I mean, looking at myself and other people who are both successful and unsuccessful, it always seemed like the difference was their attitude. Mm. So, you know, and, you, you know, everyone's attitude varies. So you have a day where you're like, you have a crappy attitude and when you have a good one. But like, um, you ever watch that show Limitless? I on, have on not, Netflix? But, but explain it. So, so this guy, like, this guy's like, they, they, they show him as sort of a loser. Wait, is that but, the blue pill dude? Not the, the blue pill that helps in other yeah, verticals. In it's life, a but, clear pill. Oh, it's but, clear pill. Um, okay. <laughs> and it's based on a movie, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I love the concept because he takes this pill and it unlocks his brain and all of a sudden he can do anything and it's limitless, right? So I just think we're, we're all built like that where some days our brain is like, wow, you know, I can, I'm, I'm unstoppable. And some days you're like, Oh crap, man! Yeah, they're just like isn't stay that the, in the bathroom and not come out. Isn't that like the the journey of an entrepreneur though, peaks and valleys? And you know, I think it's important to know that we can choose our attitude, and we we have that unique ability as humans to to flip the switch when we recognize that we're we're going in the wrong direction. And it's so important to be mindful and self aware of the energy that we're putting off because if, if we're miserable, we're going to affect everybody around us. And the 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 truth is, we can't do it alone. So you have to be mindful of that, that energy that you're putting off because you don't want to retard people. You know. You want to, you know, you want to bring them into your life, not push them away from your life. Yeah. And it's hard because, you know, you could put out the great energy and not get the results. 
Um, but you know, so much of life is about the sort of the, the odds and the law of averages and with the right attitude, your odds just go up by so much. Um, and then, you know, obviously a little luck, luck is needed somewhere along the way. Yes. So great way to get this thing started. Where does it make sense to start telling your your story? Maybe we'll get a little bit of the the background story of your, your first restaurant and why you started or decided to get into the food and beverage industry in general. What was going on there? So I, um, came out of college, ADD guy. I was a Soviet studies major. I thought I wanted to be the next James Bond, but that didn't, that wasn't working out. Uh, so I'm like, gosh, what am I going to do? And I moved to California briefly, saw all these great like taquerias and Mexican food, moved back to the East coast. And I'm like, man, this is sorely lacking. Uh, so I start burrito madness, right? The, this little taco joint sort of offbeat creative taqueria. Time stamp and, this for uh, me real quick, Dave. When, when, what, like early 90s, late 80s, what, what, what time is it? This is 91, 92 that okay. we did this. Cool. Yeah. And so, you know, it was an okay place. Uh, you know, we tried to do things from scratch and really do things the right way. Uh, but, you know, it was struggled. It, yeah. it honestly, was, it was really struggling. It was a grind. The hours were immense. Uh, you know, I spent too much time working in the business and not really on the business. Um, and so that was fine. But one of the things that was fun is I like creating sort of like spicy foods and different foods. And I happened upon these people that like you give them really spicy foods and they're like, they're like, wow, that's great. And they're like sweating and in pain. And I was like, huh, I never seen anything like that before. <laughs> uh, and so for that ADD brain where it's always looking for excitement, you're like, this is cool. Um, so that's like the metric uh, of my career most of the time is what's cool. So I was like, that's cool. Uh, so I was like, huh, how do I make it hotter? And so I was sort of like trying to think it through, like, well, habanero is the hottest pepper at the time. Like, you can't go hotter than that. I was like, well, what's in that pepper? Like, what makes the pepper hot? And what's in the pepper is much hotter than the pepper. So I was like, cool. All right. I'll, I'll take that. I'll put it in a sauce and I'll blow people's faces off. <laughs> and And, you know, once in a while, you actually do what you set out to do and, and it worked. And people were like, man, this stuff's insane. That's crazy. I was like, no, it's insanity. And so it became insanity sauce. I love it. Uh, I, uh, I want to talk about where you took it once you had this this product, this thing that was so insane that it was blowing people's face off. But like, re- reflecting back at the restaurant industry, knowing what you know now, this is going almost 30 years ago. Uh, and you're a successful entrepreneur at this time. You've, I'm sure you've read a ton of business books and you've just improved yourself and your perspective on the world. Reflecting back at that time, um, and you said that you guys were all right, but there's a lot of things you could have been doing. You mentioned working in the business, not on the business. What do you think re- reflect on that time and what you've learned up to this date? And what would you have done different about your business? Uh, because you guys were open for two years, right? Two years and you closed. Was that what was going on? Like a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. almost two years. Um, you know, the, the world's changed a lot. So like now it's much easier to pull in contractors and resources, you know, because uh, but back then, you know, I started a taqueria. Um, you know, I did a number of things right in that I went into an existing restaurant location. So I saved, I, I started on Turnkey. what was an incredibly yeah. low budget. Um, so the good news, bad news, right? Low budget, you don't have as much staying power. You don't have the marketing ability. Uh, you know, I, I went into a location that I think at the end of the day was not a great location. Um, not that someone couldn't have made it there. I just that. that at that time, I couldn't probably. Um, so we could have hung on for longer, I'm sure. But 
Well, it was like, what's I'm, the point? Yeah, and I'm not suggesting it was a complete failure because, I mean, look, it was a launching pad for what you have today, you know? And I think right. it, it's so powerful just to have that open mind. Um, and you've created something really cool from it, but I was just curious if there was any lessons that you could draw from that time that my listeners could maybe apply. Because the majority of my listeners right now are restaurant owners and operators, right? Um, so you created this insanity sauce. At what point what, did this thing move beyond just fun wasn't there some part of your story where you were using it to like keep unruly drunks like in control yeah. do you want to dive into that a little bit <laughs> yeah so so <laughs> so college park maryland right this is the universe of maryland that's yeah. where my my restaurant was so we had a lot of like, like the after hours bar crowds these guys would come in drunk and so these guys were huge and um they just like created all sorts of uh, hassles and i was like you know i wasn't really like in the mood to deal with that so i was like hey um you like spicy food? They're like, yeah, I like spicy food. I'm like, oh, you probably don't like really spicy food though. They're like, yeah, I do. I'm like, nah, you can handle this stuff. And they're like, oh, yeah, load it on there. I was like, <laughs> all right. And so um, it's funny because then they would either sit like, you could see like their face like just in pain, pale and sweating, or they'd run out the front door, or they'd go in the bathroom. And, so, um, and their buddies would laugh at them. So you know, and the and the strangest part was the next day, someone from their friend group would be coming into the restaurant and being like, "Hey, can I get any of that stuff?" You know, so we <laughs> were like serving in little souffle cups, uh, and so it's like, "Huh, people seem to like this thing." So, uh, yeah, when did you know you the, had something? When did you know that you had something that was worth bringing to market? And what did that process of of packaging this look, look like and developing relationships with brick and mortar? Like, how? Did, what was your approach? Sure. So. um you know, most products in the world don't really create excitement. Um, and so, you know, I'd seen all the food items we're serving. People like them, you know, some people more than others. But like this thing, like the chili heads, the people that really like spicy food, um, they were excited about it. They were like, wow, that stuff's so awesome. And we're like, hmm, wow, they really seem to like this. So, you know, once a lot of souffle cups are going out of the restaurant um, and we're basically just giving it away, uh, I was like, huh, I started researching it. So uh, we went to the National Fiery Foods Show in Albuquerque. Uh, we put in some bottles uh, and um, the show banned it. And, and the New York Times immediately picked up on it. And like, <laughs> it just like took off like a rocket ship um, and became this hobby that was like, this really a fun hobby because like stores all over the country started calling me saying, hey, how do I get bottles of this? Uh, and, um, you know, it wasn't, meant to be a job at the time because um i sold the restaurant and then i actually got a real job yeah uh, but nights and weekends i'm like sitting there moving sauce and it just got to be too much sauce i had to quit my job and just i kind of went with it so there's a couple things uh that i want to pull to the surface up to this point i think that we sometimes we try to bring something that's okay or you know decent to the market and it's not enough to be okay or decent to really stand out and to really thrive you have to be like like in a league of your own, right? Like in a whole another vertical, uh, like kind of like the, the, the idea of first to market, right? And being the first of something or just, just being so unique, so out of this world that you stand out. Do you want to, do you think that might have been behind some of your success? Well, you know, I don't want to discourage people, but because people succeed for different reasons. Mm. There's a lot, I mean, by definition, most products are average, right? Because that's what the word average means. So there's people that are just great at selling and can take an average item and sell the heck out of it. And there's people, great marketers, and there's people that can that can create things more cheaply and all that. So so more power to all of them. You know, they can have a lot of success. 
But for me, the, the thing that, that I've spent you know, many years preaching um, and really believe in is the simplest and cheapest thing you can do is just spend some more time making an item great. Yes. Make it exceptional. Make it where people like say, wow, because then the marketing is largely done for you. Like word of mouth marketing is so power. It's still the most powerful marketing. Probably. Yeah. And I'm uh, so happy you're sharing this because one of the things I've been saying a lot lately is when we think of growth, we think of, I need to get at this arm to my business, add that arm to my business and marketing and, and this one, we think outwards, right? But the truth is all that energy needs to go into the product, into doing whatever the, is the thing that you do and make that thing as amazing as possible. So people have no choice, but you just sing and, and praise you. Right. Uh, is that what I'm hearing from you? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. And and yes, will it cost more with better ingredients and this and that? Yeah, it will. Uh, but you know, there is a premium market for great products. Yes. Um, you know, and like like I I drive a Tesla, which is like, you know, I don't care about cars, but that thing's amazing. <laughs> you know, I, I I think I've sold like six of them. Um, you know, so it's I like you. you know, there's very few things in your life that you go through and like you're like, wow, that is so amazing and exceptional. Um, so, I mean, so if you can create one of those, I mean, that's really the way I would say to go about it. Now there's so much pressure and not just in, in the restaurant industry, but like in the grocery industry, the CPG consumer products industry, what's new, what's new. You're constantly asked what's new. So there's pressure to launch products. So, you know, is every product you launch going to be exceptional? I don't know. I don't know anyone who can do that. Um, I certainly don't have that kind of talent. So have we launched a lot of products that are just good or just, you know, really good? Yeah, we have. Um, but, you know, the goal is always to launch something that's, you know, exceptional. Yes. Um, and so, you know, the insanity sauce was that. And then, you know, the butternut squash pasta sauce was that. Um, and then, you know, the um, we think some of our creamy hot sauces are sort of the new version of that for us. So, uh, and, and then... Then I think people don't forget, like, it's not like all or nothing. It's not like on day one, you launch it, it's either exceptional or not. No, like, you can have the continuous improvement. Like, why not just say, okay, I'm launching it really good because I got to do it, but like, let me keep working on it. Let me keep improving it because maybe by, you know, version 2.0 or 3.0, you'll get to exceptional. So, you know, don't give up that fight. Yeah. Um, so, dialing back, um, to something you mentioned briefly, I think is really important is that you, you didn't just sell the restaurant and go 100% into Dave's insanity sauce. You started it kind of, you, you continued it as a hobby and you had your full-time um, job on the side. Talk about that. The, the power of the side hustle and uh, why that was the approach you took. Well, I mean, I'm kind of a bootstrapper by mentality. Um, you know, cause I think in the sort of star culture we live in, we see like, celebrity chefs and, you know, equity funded businesses and all these guys who like, you know, they, they're able to raise millions of dollars and start these amazing things and, you know, more power to them. I mean, some of the, you know, we actually go to some of these things and are like, wow, that is really amazing. Um, but like for most people, that's not really within reach. And maybe it's not even necessary because there's a lot of hole in the walls that serve food that's every bit as good as like the, you know, five star whatevers. Um, so, 
you know, for me, I was some 23 year old maybe who like, you know, I had this cool sauce that people seemed to like. And uh, just a side was, note, we got to point out how badass it is that you open a restaurant at 20 years old, 22, 21 years old. This is two years after that point. Right. I mean, it takes some gojones, in my opinion, to, to take that leap. I wouldn't have done that at that age. That's pretty, you know, bold. Well, I think with um, with the entrepreneurial mindset um, and the ADD mindset, you have a certain set of blinders on where you don't focus on risk. Um, and if you're a very thoughtful entrepreneur, you, you evaluate risk um, and you try to mitigate it, but you don't, like, you don't like focus on it. So I wasn't focused on, oh my gosh, it could fail. Because you know, depending on how you look at it, you could say the restaurant didn't do well, um, or you could say, did it launch the sauce? Or you could say it was a great learning experience and you know, I didn't come out worse off necessarily. Uh, but... Um, you know, I, think, I lost I my train the, of thought. No, I think the original uh, question was you, you, so you sold the restaurant or you closed the restaurant and then mm-hmm. you decided to, um, you got the, the full-time job. And really what I was trying to get at there is that you don't have to go all in. Start it as a hobby. And if right. you can continue it as right. a hobby and you still have the passion to do the thing, even if you're not making money for it, maybe that's a good sign that this is something that you can continue to do for the long run, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you get a lot of interviews where people are like, it's clear that a lot of successful entrepreneurs have a plan. You know, their, their goal is to go in and make a billion dollars. So, but a lot of us, it's still like, yeah, this is fun. You know, like you're saying, it's a side hustle. It's like a hobby. It's like, you know, I didn't know if I was ever going to make any money at it, but like I had a, I got myself a full-time job, yeah. paid the bills, life was okay. Um, and in my side, I would rather have done what I did and like sold sauce that was making all these people happy um, then, you know, just go out, you know, and a few more nights at the bar or a few more nights doing whatever. Um, so, you know, it, it's such a great way because if you have like a awareness, you can like, you can test your product out. Like I, I go to consumer fairs and like all these people were tasting it and giving me feedback of how I can improve it and all that. So I did all that while I was still like, was it still while you know, it was part-time? Yeah, this is all part time because on weekends you could do these these craft fairs and all this. Um, you know, I didn't have to like say, okay, I'm going to do this full time. I'm going to go deep in debt to all my relatives. Um, See, that's you know, or, that's right there or, is what I was hoping you to bring to the surface is that when you go part time, you can keep your expenses low. I don't think people realize the amount of money it takes to just to keep the business open. So when you're part time and you can get that supplemental income, you can keep your 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 liabilities as low as possible. And I don't think people value that enough. Do you want to reflect? Well, I mean, I think that's that's true with like the whole college thing nowadays, and people are starting to talk about this. Yeah. Of like, should I go deep in college debt for twenty years? Um, you know, what's this college going to do for me? Or you know, am I better off going to community college or whatever? But you know, in the restaurant world, there's the same version of what I did. You know, you could go to craft fairs and cook your famous whatever dish um, and serve it on weekends and build up a base in the local area or or, you know, do a food truck or find an existing food truck who like only does dinner and maybe you could do lunches on the truck for like, like cheap or find a, there are restaurants who only do dinner who might be willing to let you do breakfasts 
Yeah, um, exactly. So we're talking yeah. about pop-ups right now. The There's so many ways to get creative and to start where you can, right? You don't need the full brick and mortar. You don't need the mortgage, you, you know, or the, the loan, right? Like you can, you can start with leveraging your relationships and getting into these places when they're closed. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of creative ways to do it and do it in a more limited way where you can, you can keep a job part-time or full-time, pay the bills, don't go into debt. Exactly. Um, and, you know, it, it tells you several things, right? A, it tells you, do enough people like it where there's a market for it? Mm. B, it helps you tweak it, like the, the recipe. Um, and it, C, tells you, do you even like doing it? Mm. Because so cooking at home, when it, your family says this, you have a great whatever, is one thing. Um, or coming out of culinary school with some dreams, you know, it's one thing. But actually operating a business, especially a restaurant, is a really tough business. The the labor is tough. It's not that, you know, it, it's a very ter- high turnover labor force. Um, the hours can be tough. It's often the hours you would want to go out with friends, um, you know, and, and just dealing with ingredient suppliers. It's, it's, it's just a tough business. Um, and it's, and the location, you know, picking the right location is so key. Yeah. Um, if you get that wrong, it's like, you're stuck. I think we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to dive into how you started scaling this, this business of yours. Uh, you're, you're starting with the, the insanity. Sauce. It's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you've got to compete with the big guys. But how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto, that's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. Back and... Take, so at this point, we know that you, you know you sold the business. You started from where you could. I think that's a key lesson. Just start where you can when you're starting another business. You don't have to go all in all at once. Scale into it. Uh, take us to the point where you decided to go full-time on this thing. Or maybe take us to the point where you were doing certain things that allowed you to go full-time. And when you're telling the story, think of the avatar of somebody who owns a restaurant, who has this product that they're selling in their restaurant that they know has legs, that they know could be a product in its own, uh, and they could bring it to market and give that person advice on how to do it. Okay. So, so I want to preface it by saying there's no one size fits all, Mm. right? It depends on your personality, what you're good at. Some people are shy. Some people are good at selling, you know, so you have to first sit down and say, what do I want? What am I good at? Um, and what am I willing to do? And what resources do I need to pull in? So if you have this thing and you want to like do, do sort of the method I was talking about, go to craft fairs on weekends, um, you know, that's great. But if you're shy, you might need to pull in a friend who's not shy to sort of hawk. Yeah. Um, you know, if you don't have time, you know, could you hire other people to do that? Could you have like a little you know, counter in the restaurant that does retail sales. Um, could you go to the market down the street um, 
and have them do some retail sales of whatever your product is. Um, you know, often in our industry, the traditional thing was they, they would coach concentric circles. Yes. You, you sell the store down the street, um, you build a test case there, then you go to the store three blocks further, and you just go out in concentric circles. So you blanket your city, uh, then you go to the, the next, you know, logical city, and you blanket your state, and then you go outward. So that, that was the tradition, right? Like, I didn't do that because this media phenomenon took my sauce to these disparate places. So, you know, why is it better to do one versus the other? Um, at the end of the day, like, if you're going to sell a business in my industry, um, the, one of the metrics they really look at is velocity. How fast does your product sell in one store? Because they can put you in lots of stores, but if you don't sell well in each given store, um, it's just not nearly as good a business. Yeah. So that's so, the focus is when you go in that store down the street, demo it, get feedback, find out how you can sell instead of one jar a week. How can you sell two or three jars a week? Um, and a lot of the, the thought in our industry now is slow down the growth of distribution don't go to too many stores too fast until you got that that velocity that, yes. that turnover. I, right. I, I love what you're sharing with us. Um, it kind of brings me back to what we were talking about earlier: is not putting the energy out. How can I be in as many places right now? But how can I be in one place? And how can I let the people in that one place know about me and establish a relationship, a connection with each one of those people that I'm demoing the the product to, and then developing a presence in that one area, right? And then once that presence is established go a little bit further out, right? And when we think of, like, it, it's again, putting that energy in, right? And growth comes from within. I think we lose sight of that and it grows out slowly. And that's what I'm hearing from you again. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard, I think, especially for an ADD brain because you want the hit. I'm right there, man. I'm right there with you. <laughs> you know, you want like, oh man, I sell to Williams-Sonoma. Oh man, I sell to Kroger. I sell to, you know, Safeway. You know, you want the big dogs because you want to like, you know, put it in your, in your holster there. Um, but like, you're much better served if you just take a deep breath and say, let me really get it right. Yeah. Let me make the your product as good as it can be. The packaging, just packaging is critical. Packaging as good as it can be. Um, the positioning, right? Like, so you're like, fine tuning, right? Gluten- in, in, yeah. In, just in- fine tune it. Really have your ear, like a sensitive ear. Like what are people saying? Um, I'm and then, curious like, real quick. Oh, like what, how many uh, brick or small mom and pop retail operations would you say you went to before getting that Kroger, before going to the Whole Foods? But you know what I'm saying? How many times did you practice your pitch and fine tune your product before you brought it to that place? Uh, many dozens of times, if not hundreds of times. But every time um, you're doing it, you're getting better and better and better. So when you do approach that Kroger, when you do approach that Whole Foods, you've done this hundreds of times, right? You're a pro at pitching it. You're a pro. You've tweaked these little things. You've gotten the feedback. You you, you are so much better because of that. Would you not agree? Oh, I agree. And, and And it's sort of nowadays, it's even more important because the big chains, like before you might get in without paying slotting. But now you're going to pay. You're going to pay a lot of money to get in 90 some odd percent of the time. And they may not keep you in that long if you don't do well. Yeah. So, you know, you just spent tens of thousands of dollars to be on a store shelf for six months to get kicked out. That is not a good proposition. No. <laughs> uh, so you, you got to have it worked out ahead of time. Uh, and the small, the small mom, mom, mom and pops are, 
are great. They're a great way to do it. Yeah. Um, and, and this, none of this is talking about online. Yeah, you know, because online is a whole there. thing yeah. now. Um, and it's in, and it's the other way of going and yeah, there's so much logic to it. Now it depends what you're selling, right? Before it's we transfer easy. into the online, um, cause I think that's really important, but there's something that you mentioned that I don't want to just skim over and I want to bring it back to the conversation. Um, you're not going to be and something you've kind of mentioned twice now. And I've heard you mentioned in other interviews while doing my research is that you're not going to be good at everything. And, I think sometimes when we're listening to all these podcasts, we're, we're hearing all these things that you have to do to be good in business. We think, well, I got to do all those things to be good. And I think that when you try to be good at everything, I'll let you say, what happens when you try to be good at everything? Well, let me say it this way. Like, you know, a lot of people frame business as a battle, right? You're battling your competitors uh, to, for whatever. And, and there is that element, right? Um, but business, the, the market's big. There's room for, there's room for more than one, but the enemy, the enemy is you. So, and that, that's like, I don't, people realize that most of the time that the problem is often you. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, especially with me, cause I'm not really a very efficient person and, and half the stuff I'm telling you, you, I don't actually do very well, yeah. um, or, or, or do much at all. So the problem is you have to figure out like, you know, do you have the discipline to do the stuff I'm saying? If you don't, how are you going to succeed? Mm. There's so many different ways to succeed, but how are you going to do it? Are you yeah. going to create a product that blows people away? If you can't do that, there's other ways to succeed. Can yeah. you find a way to create it cheaper than everyone else? Can you, you know, wh- what can you do? And so I, I think that's the, that's the key is like figuring out like, you know, how can you do it? Like, how have you succeeded at things in the past? Like, you know, okay, well, maybe that's your, your magic mojo. Yes, yes. I love this. So what Dave is saying, you know, it's, it's all about self-awareness, right? You need to be self-aware. You need to know where your strengths are. You need to know where your weaknesses are because you're better off leaning into your strengths and being good at what you're being even better at what you're good at and letting that strength attract onto yourself the people that are strong where you're weak, right? We're meant to be tribal. We're meant to work in groups. We're meant to lean on each other's strengths and, and you know, focus on our own strengths and bringing that to the group. Um, and when you, I think when you focus on your strengths, you're, and you become even more valuable in that vertical, whatever your strength is, that's the best approach. Uh, do you agree or disagree with that? Oh, I totally agree with that. And then, then you have to have thought it through enough to know sort of your goal. What are you after? And then if you know what you're after and it's exciting enough, you can paint that vision. And then when you want to draw on other people to, to work with you, you can, you can share that vision and it creates excitement and it creates, that's what creates teamwork and motivation. And, um, so if, if, if you're, if you're the great salesperson, but you need people to help create the operations and and market and all that, you're like, Hey, we're going to like get, you know, a million Americans like eating this and, 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 and smiling and loving it. And, you know, people are like, yeah, yeah. And then they want to like do it. And it's like, and quite frankly, it's much more fun to do things that way. Yes. I mean, um, um, I, I'm loving this. And, I, you know, it's one of the things I've learned interviewing hundreds of restaurateurs is that there's no one way. There's no one path to success. And a lot of the times people are become successful because they focus on that one thing they're good at. Uh, and don't be like, you know, there's just so many different ways to, to what is it? Skin a whatever. Skin uh, a cat. Yeah. Skin a cat. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so don't be so 
set on the ways other people are doing it. Really try to figure out the best path for you is kind of what I'm hoping to get from this. Um, that was a little bit of a, a caveat, but a good lesson, a good life lesson. And uh, you're about to get into uh, the so we were talking about getting into brick and mortar and how that was like in the early days, but now your, your playing field is um, e-commerce, right? And, and where are you saying you're getting most of your revenue? Is it online or in retail? What's going on today? Oh, no, we're way big in retail. That's, that's yeah. our thing. You know, and I had this conversation the other day, right? Cause, cause you know, I, I'm in my, I'm in my early fifties yeah. and I was having a conversation with another guy my age. And so like, you know, there's this gold rush, you know, online, online, and what I find is that people who are in their 20s and somebody 30s and obviously younger, they're, they're intuitively better at it. Um, not that there are people my age who are, aren't great at it. Uh, and people my age like hire services to sort of replicate. But the thing about online is authenticity is so key. There has to be this natural enthusiasm and natural desire to share and share in an interesting way and have these like, conversations online. Uh, and so if you do it well, um, like uh, Nut Pods is a company that's that kicked ass on Amazon. Um, and Madeline's she's terrific and she's sharp. And but you know, she's just part of that, that generation where like, they're, they're just naturally very online oriented. But online is amazing because you you can do it inexpensively. Um, you can highly target so now you really have to think about not just like what you're creating, but who's going to eat it. Um, and you can figure that out online also, right? So um, there's so many surveying tools and all that. But like, and Amazon's obviously the, the, the you know, 800 pound gorilla at so, doing that. But, you know, it also just depends a little bit because like pasta sauce, heavy glass jars, they don't ship that well. Um, so that created a, a little bit of block. But the overnight oats we have in little cups and are light. They're more a natural items. So snack items are more natural, but beverages in glass jars aren't as natural. So you're bringing something up that's really important, and I don't think a lot of people consider it when they are trying to bring a product to either market or to online distribution is how well does your product ship, right? Um, your original product, Dave's Insanity Sauce, how many ounces are in one bottle? It's a five-ounce glass bottle. So I'd say on the scale of internet friendliness it's probably like you know it's a c a c i would say what about um, your your pasta sauce i mean that's a big jar i'm saying it's probably closer to 12 ounces or more yeah it's a 25 ounce jar okay. so it's it, i give it like a d d plus in in terms of a natural fit for like a big <laughs> online business but then your your overnight oats how i mean that's we're not th- we're, we're, that's probably more an issue of pounds right like a one cup of overnight oats can't weigh more than like a quarter pound. I would imagine like super light. So that's more of a natural fit, like snack items, um, like shave club, you know, things that are are light and not breakable with higher values are like the ideal thing for online. What's the expiration date on dry oats? (laughs) Like it's got a a long shelf life. Exactly. These are the things you need to consider. There's another episode that I recorded with somebody. We went over some of these details that I'll include in this conversation because I think it goes hand in hand. Um, with, I can't remember the, the name of the individual, but I'll be sure to link to it. If you want more content like this, bringing products to market, uh, some of the other things, what, what are the other things you wanted to, to make sure we, dec- we cover in today's conversation? Uh, you know, I think the power of why is really, really critical. So, I mean, you know, why are people getting into anything? I mean, if you're going to start a restaurant, well, why is you had, is it sort of a 
you had this recipe and you want people to sit there and tell you how great it is. Um, so it's sort of an ego thing. And, and you know what? There is nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that in any negative way. You know, we all want to feel good. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of, a lot of very successful people did it based on, on ego. Like they, they want to create this thing and feel great about it. So, you know, why is it? Is it because, you know, you feel people are suffering through like bad, um, bad breakfast eggs or something. And you feel like, you know, you can, you can solve that for them. Um, you know, is it, is it economic reasons? Like you just want to make a bunch of money that that's fine. What's your um, so it's just, people just have to be very upfront about like why they're doing it. So what's your why? My why is I just have that crave for excitement. Yeah. Um, so I just want to create stuff that's cool. Uh, <laughs> And, and it's tough because, you know, like, you know, there's also awards in our industry. So like cool became winning awards for a while. Um, and then I saw like, there wasn't a lot of like, you know, a lot of things that won a lot of awards necessarily didn't sell. And so I was like, okay, you know, I have to grow up a little bit and like, I have to be more mindful about, I can't do that. Uh, so it's like still like how do I create cool stuff that a lot of people enjoy, but like meets the economic metrics and all that. Um, and it, it can definitely be tough because I launch into products like, like, so supply chain's big, right? Um, so I should touch on that for people if yeah. they want to go in my, my direction, like Please. even the restaurant supply chain is, is something right. But like, so, you know, if you, you want to create something that people haven't done before, there's often a reason they haven't done it. Right. And so like, you know, like, like, let's say Alfredo. So we spent eight years trying to create an Alfredo sauce in a jar because Alfredo sauces in a jar, just they're bad. I mean, it's not like they're not that great. They're just bad. So you, you kept trying to do it. Like, like do you do a retort technology or a hot fill? And there's all these different cooking technologies we we're trying. Um, and we we're just trying different ingredients. And like nothing really tasted good. Um, refrigerated stuff tastes good. Homemade tastes good. Um, we just couldn't quite figure it out. And so we, we finally came to a technology based on some company that, you know, we didn't know about before. And um, we have something now that we're launching that that's good. Um, I, is it great? I don't think there's anything that's great with these technologies. Well, maybe relative to other Alfredos on the market, maybe it is great. Relative to the Alfredo you get at a restaurant, maybe it's at the, that same level. But because you're shipping it and because it's so hard to do in the vertical of retail. It, you know, it has that separation. Right. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's what we decided was this is a good product. Um, and you know, that doesn't mean we're not going to continue trying to, to find, to figure out a way to make something that that's great. Uh, and so, sort of like, you know, like, and, and that goes to the other point of like conviction, right? There are guys who have conviction, like, like an Elon Musk, right? Like SpaceX was on the verge of bankruptcy. If that one ship didn't succeed, he's bankrupt. Mm. And he just put it all on the line because I think that would have dominoed and maybe taken out Tesla. Who knows? But like, uh, you know, do you have that kind of conviction for whatever your idea is? Um, you know, and that's the thing like we were talking about before about bootstrapping versus raising a bunch of money. And, um, you know, if you raise a bunch of money and it fails, like, 
what happens next? I mean, have you, have you thought about that? Um, now, I don't want to discourage people again because like some of the people in the world that have, have this massive conviction and have succeeded have given massive benefit to the rest of us. Um, but like, how sure are you about your yeah. idea? Have you tested it at all? Have yeah. you done anything so you have a higher probability of success? Because There's a great book out there called The Dip by Seth Godin who kind of gets into the power of just having that conviction and just usually those who are successful are those who just have the, the uh, stamina to continue to show up day over day over day over day until they push this thing over to the edge and then, you know, gravity takes over and momentum takes over. And, and that's when that hockey stick curve starts to, to kick in. Cause they just had that, that uh, what's the word you use uh, conviction to keep showing up. And when you get, a bunch of cash. Like how hard is it to keep showing up? Right? Like until that cash runs out, can you continue to push at that same, you know, intensity? Probably not. Um, so it's so important. I absolutely agree with what you're saying. Um, I think this is a good spot to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Imagine if processing invoices was as easy as snapping a photo with your smartphone. Oh my gosh, that'd be nice. Well, with Margin Edge, it is that easy. You snap a photo of the invoice and Margin Edge takes it from there. Every line item in every handwritten note is captured. Margin Edge then integrates with your POS so each day you know everything you bought and everything you sold. With Margin Edge, you get a rolling P&L with drill down capabilities and it flows effortlessly to your accounting system of choice. That's pretty nice. So what does this mean to you? It means you can run your restaurant without the massive paperwork nightmare. It means getting your team back to creating memorable experiences for your guests. It means having your purchase and sales data in one place immediately for effective and rapid decision making. So if we have your attention, go to me.marginedge.com slash unstoppable. Because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 50% off your first year, go to me.marginedge.com slash unstoppable. I'm sure you felt it before, right? That pressure, that intense pressure to have your restaurant website on point. But you should have that pressure. You should feel this way because your restaurant website is so important. It is your first impression and it represents your entire brand. But here's the thing, you're not a web developer, you're a restaurant owner, so how can you be held to these standards? Well, with a Bento Box, that's how. Bento Box empowers you to own your presence, profit, and guest relations, all with full support, integration, and analytics. And here's something that's really great about Bento Box is that it prioritizes website accessibility. So with Bento Box, you can get a certified accessible restaurant website that follows ADA guidelines and supports your business because this is how you show your people you care. Beyond that, Bento Box websites drive 70% more traffic. They see seven times more conversions and get five times return on investment. What else can I say? Well, how about over 5,000 restaurants in all 50 states and around the world are using this platform with its suite of tools. Head over to getbento.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you'll save 50% off your setup. Again, that's getbento, G-E-T-B-E-N-T-O.com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back and we have about 15 minutes um, what are two things? Give me two things you want to dive into that you think will leave myself and my listeners better off after spending some time with you. 
So uh, I think guerrilla marketing, uh, which which is changing, and um, and the sexy topic of data. All right, <laughs> I like it. Okay, let's let's pick guerrilla marketing first. Get into uh, how you're. What is first? What is guerrilla marketing technically? So I mean, traditional marketing is like you do advertising, and you go through just these traditional means that tend to cost more. Um, so guerrilla marketing is how do you do something creative to try to leverage um, a limited amount of resources. Mm -hmm. Um, So like we had, um, I have sort of thought of like revenue positive marketing uh, was this term I made up. I was like, how do I market and actually get paid to do it? Like, so it's not a cost, but it's actually a benefit. And and so it's hard to do and I can't do it most of the time, but that's where the sort of limited, limited uh, term items, you know, so we can, create. Can you give me an example of a time you you have done it? Give, like share a time that you have. What what's the term you used? Um, revenue positive marketing. Yeah, give me an example of what time you have that you have done it. So one thing we did for years was we did uh, private limited edition reserve. So it was a hand signed, hand numbered limited edition sauce that was hotter than any, anything we made. It was a bottle put in a wooden coffin wrapped in caution tape. Uh, you know, so we did thousands of them each year. And I'd sit at a table like signing and, um, yeah. Uh, and so was the purpose to just sell a lot of sauce? Not necessarily. Was the purpose like to get people saying, wow, look at this thing and then share with their friends and then give, continue to get our brand credibility, um, you know, because we were known for the hottest sauces in the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, that was the thing. And so we actually made money on it. Uh, you know, you can create stuff like that that makes a lot of money, a little money, no money. You just spend a, a limited amount of money. Uh, you know, we created uh, Lucky Nuts where every nut, every 10th nut was hot, but you couldn't tell which one. So like Russian roulettes. It's kind of like I think one thing you do really well is like the, that you deliver this experience, like not just the the experience of consuming the product, but the the experience of purchasing the product. The experience you you make it into more than just consuming; you make it the whole thing an experience. Is that accurate? Well, I think what you touch on is 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 incredible because that's like that's what research is showing us is people want experiences. They don't want things. Mm. Um, we need things um, and we buy things, but really what we want is experiences and we'll, people will pay more, they'll enjoy more, they'll share more if it is an experience. And things can be experiences. Uh, and so, you know, it, with the restaurant world, it's even more important because it, it, by its nature, is more of an experience. Yeah. So would you be offended if I said you're kind of like a hype guy? I don't mean that in a negative way, but I think you're really good at taking something that could be ordinary, but you, you spin it and you make it exciting. You make it into an experience. And is that kind of what you're doing with guerrilla marketing? Is that kind of the, the idea? Is, get, is creating an experience and, and really pushing? Like, get, go into that. Yeah, so this is where, you know, ADD is talked about very negatively. But this is one of the ADD superpowers is that you crave excitement. And so if something is exciting to you, well, guess what? It's exciting to a lot of other people Mm. out in the world. And so you have an internal sort of standard and filter. Like, So that's what a lot of this came down to was what was exciting to me? And so did we do some of these that like were total failures? 
yeah, we had a hot sauce aging bottle that um, that didn't do do particularly well. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we had an adjustable heat hot sauce where you could actually turn the top of the jar and it changed the heat of the sauce coming out. Uh, and that created tons of excitement, but it was a failure because like we had to buy so many that we ate, I think we lost tens of thousands of dollars on that. <laughs> but like, um, it was so cool. And you know what it does for an internal excitement and morale of you and your, your staff, that can't be underestimated also. Um, and, and your partners out there are sort of like, this company's doing cool stuff. Um, that's guerrilla marketing is, is getting your consumer and your partners and your, your team all excited by doing something that's cool. Um, and, and, but, but do it thoughtfully, obviously, because there is money involved and you're trying to promote your core business. So it has to promote the same direction as what, you're, what you sell day in, day out, right? So, uh, you know, we, we are known for hot stuff, so we promoted things that, that were hotter. Um, if we were known for like, you know, very elegant French food, that may not have been the thing to do. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and some things are easier to do because, you know, hot sauce is more exciting by its nature. Yeah, um, I feel that. Uh, so any other advice on guerrilla marketing before we talk about that second piece that you share with us, uh, big data and how you're leveraging that? Yeah, I mean, you know, guerrilla marketing, same with any marketing, right? So, you know, also know who your consumer is, like, you know, target it as much as you can. Um, don't make sure that, that it is actually exciting to, to your consumer and not just to you. Uh, you know, you can, you can get carried away with these things um, where you get the group think and like you went to yes people and like, Hey, this is great. And like, you know, everyone out there is like, what the heck are these people doing? Are they insane? You know? And then um, get the, get the, the data of like, you know, really learn, you know, like, like, you know, uh, survey monkey type of stuff is so cheap nowadays. Um, it's so easy to find out like, you know, who likes your type of item. So you're coupling this guerrilla marketing with the big data and you're using tools like survey monkey. Can you, can you take me through what that process looks for you? And, and like, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the pieces that go into this process so we can try to recreate it. Right, right. So, so it starts at the, the very beginning. You have an idea. Um, you think it's a good idea. You, um, you know, people ask their friends and family, first mistake. Uh, friends and family will always say yes. Um, uh, so the first thing I would do is go online and just do like two hours research on, on surveying. Like what questions do you ask and how do you interpret the answers? Okay. Because you have to know things like confirmation bias. If I'm staring you in the eyes and I ask you, do you like this? you're probably going to say yes because <laughs> yeah. you don't want to make me feel bad. Yeah. Right. So like, how do you survey? Um, when do you have to do it in person and when can you do it online? Okay. So conceptual stuff, a lot of times you can do online. Gotcha. So you can send out a survey. So the components to a survey are who do you send it to? Right. So that, that takes maybe a little bit of homework. Um, if your idea is to do some sort of shoe um, that is, you know, has some sort of special function. Well, who wears those shoes? Because you want to send it to the people that wear those shoes probably. Yeah. Um, unless there's a group of people that you somehow think will buy those shoes that don't use them now because you're doing something different. Well, who are those people? Mm -hmm. so, so you want to send it to the right people. Then what questions do you ask them? 
So that's the sort of, you know, where you do a little homework as, as to, you want to know, ultimately you want to know, will they buy it? You know, but will they buy it at this price? Will they buy it in what colors? Will they buy it where? You know, is this going to be an online purchase? Um, how often would they buy it? Uh, you know, it, what are different features of it that would make them more or less likely to buy it or pay more or less? So, um, you know, and that, that works just, just as much with a, a restaurant too. You know, would, you know, are they happy with the Italian restaurants nearby? Um, you know, and you don't have to do online surveys. You can go to a local shopping mall or do, you know, person on the street kind of stuff. Just understand that face to face has a, a different, a different vibe. Um, you know, people might be more likely to say yes. So, so, you know, that, that's sort of like we hear about big data, right? You're not necessarily buying, buying shards of data, you know, by doing this, this is how you do it yourself. Um, and that, and there's so many services, you know, like survey monkey and with like a survey monkey, you can actually buy people too. So they'll rent you lists of people to send the survey to. So the first steps here I'm hearing from you is first uh, figure out the, the details on how to put together a good survey, maybe two hours of research, uh, then find out who your target market is, who you want to survey, and then look for things like uh, what will they buy it? Like what things will make them buy it? Price, color, things like this. Um, then once you have all that, you're using the tools like SurveyMonkey. How much does it cost to get a list from SurveyMonkey? I'm assuming there's a, probably a cost there to get access to these, uh, you know, th this demographic, this this uh, ideal market, right? All in, you could probably do surveying for, you know, well, the, the person on the street surveying, you could do basically for free uh, up to, you know, several hundred dollars. If you wanted to get expert help involved for, you know, Two or three thousand dollars, you could do some some um, you know great surveying um, because you know big companies are slow, right? They're slow to launch things. They're slow to do things. Why are they slow? They're slow because when they launch, they launch with a big budget and they don't want to fail. They need a very high degree of certainty. The question is, how certain do you have to be if you're launching things cheaply and expensively, especially if you're doing like we said and you're going to do it in some some way where you're, you're doing part of a food truck or a pop-up or whatever, um, you're going to get some additional testing there. So you don't have to be too certain up front, right? You just, you just don't want to make a big mistake and be way off base. You're just sort of trying to find out like, am I, am I on track generally? Um, am I making any big mistakes? That, that, that's really what the initial surveying is for. Um, so, you know, you still have a chance, a significant chance of, of screwing up. Right, and that could be the execution, not the idea. But you're trying to test the idea, uh, and so you get the high enough degree of certainty. You get it at the low enough budget, um, and you can do several rounds of things. Where like maybe you do the initial round on the idea, then you create a prototype. Um, and what could that be for a restaurant? It could be your signature dish. Uh, you want to test it with people, so you do it on the street or at a craft fair or whatever, or Someone else, you know, lets you do it in their restaurant or pop-up or whatever. Um, so you can test different things, you know, test menu items that you would serve, test, um, uh, you know, you have restaurant, you figured out your budget, you figure out it's going to be there. Um, you can sort of get a sense of like, will people like do that? Will they, will they go there? Or like, they're like, hey, I have this other place around the corner that's the same thing that I love. Why would I go to yours? Um, so then you figure out, well, you could still succeed, but you're going to have to get some people 
you either switch from these other places or people that don't go at all, you know, to like start going. So it's like there's these different rounds of surveying you can do. Um, now, if you get to pro the product world, that's where you're buying data um, on consumers and their behaviors and, and, and in-store performance and this and that. And that's a different animal. But um, <laughs> Is it even yeah. worth going down that, that street right now? <laughs> Oh, you mean for for right now for you, for you and all that? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, no, I'm saying, do you want to open that box of getting into that other vertical of consumer data? Uh, Probably you know, not. It's, <laughs> it, it's a whole involved thing. Yeah. And quite frankly, I'm still learning it. Yeah. Uh, and it's just it's just crazy. I mean, the the amount of money you spend on promotions in stores and with with these giant retailers, it's just it's huge amounts of money to try to like, you know, because it's crazy, like. Like you walk down the supermarket aisle, right? And you're shopping. I walk down the supermarket aisle and like my brain explodes because I'm just like looking at the pricings and promotions and positionings and claims on packages. And I'm just like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a consumer. And like, how, if I'm that bottle right there on the shelf, how do I get you to try me? Yeah. Um, and and it, it's just, it's very challenging. Yeah. Um, if you haven't created this amazing product or this amazing packaging, um, like to just get consumers to try you right. and then, you know, yeah, well, good stuff. Dave, I've loved this conversation. Is there any last piece of advice out there for somebody who listening, who thinks they might have a product that's worth taking beyond their restaurant? Now's the time to drop it on us. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think life is short, right? So I said, go for it. I mean, you can do it like this is the message I think we've been trying to say is like you can do it in a, in a safe, limited, thoughtful way and, you know, just know what, you, what you're trying to accomplish. Like, you know, two years down the road, the thing flames out. Would you feel like, hey, I had a good adventure. I gave it a try. Uh, you know, maybe it succeeds. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe you pivot to something else. Look at me. I went to a restaurant, you know, got beat up and smelled like an onion for two years. Um, <laughs> and which does not help with dating, by the way. Nope. <laughs> I find that find that women in Maryland were not into onion smelling men. Uh, that's, that's some good but, advice uh, right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Onion, so onion cologne would not be a thing. Well, Dave, I've, uh, there's been a, a lot of value in today's conversation. I really do appreciate you taking the time uh, to share your journey, to share your knowledge with us, uh, to share your unique vertical. I mean, that's one thing I love about this industry, food and beverage, is that it, it, it's people tend to be so one track, you know. But you know, there's so much opportunity that can stem from your from your restaurant. And if you have something, I mean, it could be a business in itself, right? It's, or it's maybe it's just another channel of revenue. But there's you know things we can do to uh, you know enhance our business or maybe even start a whole new business. And I think just having you on the show today was that perspective for sure. Thanks. I appreciate what you're doing and trying to like, you know, educate people, excite people. And, 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 you know, I, I think it makes, I mean, it makes the industry better because people hopefully come in in a way that like they know what they're doing and they, they do it better. First, thank you for that. And uh, what's the best way we can connect with you if uh, we want to maybe ask some questions about what you share with us today, or maybe we just want to get your sauce. Where would you go to get the best place to get your sauce? Um, Dave, Dave's gourmet.com. You can get the sauce or a lot of local stores. There's a store finder on there. Um, I'm Dave at Dave's gourmet.com. So people want to shoot me questions. I'm always happy to help people out. Beautiful. Well, thank you uh, again for taking the time to to share your story, to share your knowledge with us. I'm, we're all better because of it. And there is no questioning, Dave, you are unstoppable. 
Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. You're unstoppable too, Eric. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Cheers. We'll cut it there. Well, there you go. Another one archived here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thanks again to our guest, David Hirschkop, for diving into that story. I think a lot of great stuff came from today's chat. One thing that I've kind of realized myself doing all these interviews is that, I mean, there's so many different paths to success that it can be overwhelming when you're the person responsible for sharing the path to take. But the truth is there is no one path. There's the path that's right for you. And Dave gets that. And that came out in today's conversation that, you know, you got to learn all the different paths, right? And and see what other people have done. But then you got to take a mix and a match of what works well for you. And I think it takes a lot of self-awareness of knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are and then saying, well, based off of who I am and what my values are and what matters to me, this is the path that I want to take. This is the path that's going to lead me to a place of success. And the truth is you can't do it all. And if you're, if you're finding yourself stressed out that you're struggling doing it all, then maybe put your energy into doing a few things that you're good at really, really well, better than everybody else. And I, I'm, I'm tending to lean towards that direction. And whatever those things are is going to be unique, unique to you. Um, but just trying different things uh, and you don't know until you know. So get out there and just start, right? And you'll figure it out as you go. And uh, I think that also came out today in Dave's story. And then really great advice on just creating an experience in in that guerrilla marketing approach. Uh, the, the, the value of surveying came out in today's conversation. Some good stuff there. I was sure to link to a few epi- uh, one episode in the past where we go deep dives into getting products into retail. I, I linked to Seth Godin's book and I also linked to SurveyMonkey in the show notes. So that's all there for you. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 686. Just a quick reminder to please use my links anytime there's a product or service that you discovered on the show. Or maybe it's just a product or service that I'm helping you keep top of mind, uh, like a POS that keeps getting recommended on the show and you decide to go with that POS. Please make sure you're you're letting these people know that you discovered these tools on Restaurant Unstoppable. Even better, reach out to me. I'll make an introduction. At the very least, use my links. That really does support the show. It shows my sponsors and other companies that you know people are listening and that they are taking action on the advice of my guests. And uh, I cannot stress enough how important that is. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes coming. They help so much. It's been a while since I've asked for one of those, but those uh, ratings and reviews really go a long way. And I think that's good for today. Um, until next time, peace out. <laughs>